Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Check this out. Illinois has recreational cannabis, right? What if you want to feel real good without getting high? And how about ordering it online and getting it right to your door? Well, there's this company, Mineral. They do whole plant hemp oil formulations. It's like CBD, but it's more than CBD. Mineral grows the hemp in Colorado. They formulate the product in Colorado, and they create these organic all-plant formulations for anxiety, stress, inflammation, post-at-home workout, and get this, the sleep one. It's fantastic. So what makes them unique is they actually blend these plant components together, things that the body has, like fats and vitamins that actually increase the absorption and effectiveness. So you actually get to feel the benefit of these formulations, truly. The guy who founded the company, Mills is his name. He's coming on the show next week, and you're going to hear his story. He was in Peru. They tried to take out his colon, but he used cannabis oil to recover instead. I know, it sounds trippy, but wait till you hear his story. It's Mineral. It's a beautiful company, beautiful formulations. I love the balance. I love the sleep. It's MineralHealth.co. That's M-I-N-E-R-A-L-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O. And if you're listening to this podcast, and I know you are, you want to try their formulations, then use code CHICAGO15. That's Chicago spelled out, the number 15. That's C-H-I-C-A-G-O-1-5. You do that, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's 15%. That's only available for listeners of the podcast. So use that code. Thank you, Mineral, and thank yourselves, too, because you're going to love this stuff. Cannabis without the high. That's correct. Okay, your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 15th. Hey, live stream uh, chat room. Who got their uh, checks today? I got mine. I got my check. 1200 Ooh-wee. 1200 <laughs> Trump check. You guys get Trump checks today? It's a chump check. Oh, Ooh, that's hard to say. <laughs> chump check from Trump because he's a chump. Trump checks. That's what you guys get your Trump check today. Mm. Weigh in on the live stream chat. Let's talk about it. What What are you gonna do with that Trump money? What are yeah. you gonna do with those Trump bucks? They're actually it's actually your money. It's you your know money. what I mean? They're just By giving way, you back your his, money that you paid. You got it. Your direct deposit, right? So you didn't yeah. see that he put his name on it. No, no, no. What no. a sleazy mother. Beep. <laughs> Thank you for cleaning that up. Mm. All right, your Bendrowski show for Wednesday, April fifteenth is moments away. But let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board. If you're listening and you're in a union, talk to your foreman or somebody and see if you can become sponsors of this show as well. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 15th, is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, give us a Wednesday song of well, the day. Well, you know, since you uh, talked about uh, Don't Act Like a Fool, I figured I thought I'd sing another song with Fool in it. Everybody plays the fool. Come on, D. The main ingredient. 
from, I want to say 1973. Don't hold me to that main ingredient. Do you know who the lead singer was, D? Um, Ice Cube. It's <laughs> <laughs> my guess for everything. Uh, Cuba Gooding's father. Oh, Cuba mm. Gooding Sr.? That is correct. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, April 15th, and live from Ben's house, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of political scientist and activist, Lorene Targos. Now your host, not a scientist. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Every time the train comes by when we start, you ever notice that? Where was I? Oh, yes. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Barack Brings the Peace Wednesday. And here's why. Before we get started, good news, everybody. Good news, D. My son time's arrived. Yay. Yeah, you remember? Uh, let me, well, you know what? Let me just go back just in case. Uh, some of you forgot. I know many of you were probably concerned because yesterday's paper was a no-show. So let me set the scene. It was like 4.30 this morning. I was up. I don't know why, but I was up uh, reading a great uh, uh, spy novel, The Innocent. Anyway, doesn't matter what I was reading. When all of a sudden, whoop, I heard the sounds of the papers slamming against the front door. And I rushed to the front door and I opened it up and there they were. All three of them, Tribune, New York Times, Sun Times. Yay! <laughs> I want to give a shout out to the delivery man. Apparently, that's an essential service. God bless you. Uh, risking life and limb to deliver newspapers. Uh, tip your delivery man, everybody. Don't be cheap. Have you ever delivered papers before? You ever done that? Paper route? No, never had a paper route. Ever, uh, ever, ever. My uh, now sister-in-law, uh, I, I filled in for a paper route one time. Oh, my God. A lot of people didn't get their paper that day. <laughs> yes, it was really hard. Yeah. No, Holy crap. <laughs> I have a lot of respect uh, for the paper delivery people. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, they, they were there. I don't know what happened to yesterday's paper. It didn't arrive. Whatever. Who cares? I got today's paper. And I was so happy I hugged it, D. Look. You're a nerd. I love you. <laughs> Who knows where that paper's been? Uh, well, yeah, it's true. I always wash my hands after I uh, touch the newspaper. Anyway, you know what? It's crazy times. I'm getting so uh, weepy-eyed over the bright one coming here. Just goes to show I'm kind of losing my mind. Been stuck in this attic for a while, D. Getting a little batty up here in the attic. Get it? Bats in the attic. So, uh, but uh, anyway, having the Sun Times gave me a chance to play one of my favorite games, Headline Battle. <laughs> Where is that radio? My <laughs> battle of the headlines. Oh yeah, battle of the headlines. Uh, Tribune versus Sun Times. This is a battle we do all the time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, here's my Tribune that was delivered. Uh, so the headline story in the Sun Times. I'm almost happy to see this story. It's a, it's we're going to be talking about this story uh, in the local news with uh, the doctor, and then uh, Lorraine Targos will be coming on. We'll talk about this. I'm uh, looking at the paper right now. I see a pun. I yeah. see a pun. <laughs> Hill Hillcogate. Uh, the city of Chicago and its infinite wisdom, and there's a lot of people outside of Chicago uh, that are learning about the city by listening to this show. So uh, I'm going to get into this much more uh, when Dennis does the local news and when Lorraine is. But sometimes the city of Chicago does these baffling things, people, like in this particular case, issuing a demolition permit uh, in the middle of a pandemic. And when they demolished uh, this coal uh, plant, um, smokestack, 
they released all sorts of dust into the air and particles into the air. And Lord knows how many people have been contaminated uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Why they thought that would be a good idea. Anyway, this is a story that's been brewing for a while. Uh, fingers are being pointed here and there. And the Sun-Times headline, it's aldermen are fighting with the mayor. Uh, the Sun-Times headline is, where there's smoke, there's ire. Come on, Day. Come on. <laughs> and uh, the tribute. Chicago tribu pun times. <laughs> at it again. Tribune headline. Actually, there is no headline. Somehow or other, the Tribune did not cover that story. So it's sometimes <laughs> by a TKO. Yeah. <laughs> Tribune's like, they're still in the, the corner of the ring. I'm not coming out. No, they're not even going to fight. Come on, Tribune. It's an important story. Anyway, the Tribune didn't cover it. So we'll give it to the Sun-Times. I was really happy to see uh, the Sun-Times. Return to my door. The big news, as far as I'm concerned, and, and po political world, uh, was in the New York Times, and uh, talked about the invisible hand of Barack Obama nudge primary to accelerate the end game. And this was one of those classic New York Times stories. Actually, it's not just the New York Times that it plays this uh, journalistic game. You, it's the Sun Times plays it, the Tribune plays it, all newspapers play it. This is like 101 of journalism. I'm going to give you guys a little insight about this business I've dedicated uh, my life to. This is a classic case of a story that's filled with information provided by unnamed sources. Mm -hmm. So there's some unnamed, <laughs> unnamed sources feeding Glenn Thrush, the writer of the story. And the unnamed sources are generally coming from the Barack Obama campaign. Lord knows who they could possibly be. Could be Barack Obama himself. Who knows who's feeding this? I doubt it. It's probably someone who like can claim they really know, you know, like some top eight. Okay, Glenn, you know. He's just talking to Barack, they, where they don't even call him President Obama. You know what I mean? They know him so well, they call him Barack, uh, that kind of thing. Now, you ask, good question coming up here. You ask, why the unnamed source, since there's nothing in this article that's remotely critical about anyone, okay? You know what I mean? So why are they Someone's hiding? Someone's really wimpy. <laughs> it's like, you see this a lot. I mean, well, there's it's in the, the Sun-Times story about the mayor, uh, you know, Unnamed sources are constantly feeding information to reporters and then reporters withhold their names. Why is that? Why are they withholding names? Well, there's probably two reasons uh, that I can think of uh, off the top of my head. Uh, number one, the uh, source, the unnamed source, is uh, making the reporter feel real important by talking to him or her. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember where, uh, Bernie Madoff, the real sleazy financier, the way he would lure people into his scam. He would say, I am not showing anybody else this deal. Only oh, you. This guy sounds so sleazy. In fact, I don't even know if I can allow you to, I have to think about whether I'm going to let you have this inside information, this access to this investment. And the person with the money would go, please, Bernie, please. Not Bernie Sanders, Bernie Madoff. Please, Mr. Madoff, please, Mr. Madoff. I won't get anybody confused here. Please, Mr. Madoff, please let me, let me give you all my money. Oh, okay, I will. And then they got scammed. That's a sucker's game. So it's a, kind of a similar thing with, uh, with, with sources. Okay. Don't tell anyone I told you this. You're the only one I'm going to tell this to. And I'm only going to tell this to you because I really respect you and like you because you're an outstanding reporter. You do a great job, by the way. Excellent story you wrote last week. But Barack says, okay, 
don't tell you promise that i swear to god i'm not gonna tell anybody the reporter's so excited he's got a scoop it's coming straight from barack as soon as he's done getting whatever gobbledygook the inside source gives him he runs 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 to his editor boss boss did i get the scoop for you all right <laughs> that's how journalism works folks they're not going to teach you that in uh in uh, graduate school no 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 this it's, it's like all the all the president's men in graduate school you know this these knights fighting the good fight. Anyway, that's how journalism really works. They they feed you. They, you're kind of like a sucker for being drawn in by Bernie Madoff. There's another reason they may not tell you your, their name because they don't want to use it because they've probably been telling some other reporter the same thing like an hour before they told you. You know what I'm saying, D? That's an old game in journalism where they call you up. Uh, ben, I'm going to give you an exclusive. <laughs> only you are going to get this story because only you can handle it. Only you have the expertise and the wisdom to handle something so difficult as the story I'm about to give you, at which point I'm thinking, oh, let's see. I assume that the Tribune already turned you down on the story. The Sun-Times said no. Block Club said, call that weird guy at the reader. Anyway, that's how it works in journalism. <laughs> but you can be sure by the time this, uh, this unnamed source from uh, the Obama campaign got to the reporter from the, Tribune, uh, from the New York Times, they'd already been in the Washington Post. It's probably NPR. Oh, God, can you imagine that conversation with the NPR? Oh, here we go. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> anyway, so that's the game they play. Oh, NPR. <laughs> they pretend like you're the smartest person in the world, and they just feed you some gobbledygook, and you gobble it all down, and you throw it out there like it's really important news. In this case, the uh, inside source was gently steering the New York Times uh, to the notion that Barack Obama was the peacemaker who brokered the peace between Biden and Bernie. Yeah, it was Barack Obama with his gentle, gentle nudging, with his what? His peacemaking capability. Remember, he won a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, my gosh. With his brilliant. Oh, my gosh, you're right. <laughs> he won the Peace Prize. <laughs> his diplomatic efforts, just, just navigating the whole situation, working it like the genius that Barack Obama is. And this New York Times guy's like, oh, man, this is good stuff. That's actually the sound of a typewriter. They don't really have typewriters anymore. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, I can just try to imagine. There, there was a, apparently a series of phone calls between Barack Obama and Bernie. They had several conversations. Uh, they didn't meet face-to-face. -face. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And I just kind of have this vision of Barack Obama, you know, just calling Bernie would excite Bernie. Because, you know, let's be honest. In, within the Democratic Party, Barack Obama's kind of like the cool guy. You know, D, it's like, we can all say, oh, you know, I oppose Barack Obama and he was too wimpy. But if he were to call, be like, another whole other thing. I'd be like, D, D, guess what? Barack Obama called me. He talked to me. Oh, Ben, really love your Tiff stories. Uh, that's my Barack Obama invitation. You're getting there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you imagine? he would start off and tell me how much he loved my Tiff story. That's what they all do when they first call me. They tell me how much I love my ben, Tiff story. Love your Tiff stories. Uh, I need you to um, take, <laughs> take it easy on uh, my boy Rom. Yes. <laughs> take it easy on Rom. Remember, <laughs> be smart, you're not. Yeah, that's true. They all love my Tiff stories, but they never did anything about the Tiff program. You ever notice that? Thing? Oh, great stories. We're not going to do anything about the scam, but <laughs> keep writing those stories stories Ben. anyway we always say oh yeah barack obama calls bernie I, it probably didn't take much you know it probably just probably what do you think he did you know he uh invited him to play basketball game with him you know, bernie's a basketball player you know that d oh yeah he yeah. could shoot free throws like a maniac 
He's got kind of like this two-handed set shot that's like from the 50s. I don't know if you've ever well, seen it. Well, it's not the, gran the granny shot, is it? What's the granny shot? The granny shot's where you go under under your legs. Oh, I love the Rick Barry shot. That's before <laughs> your time. Rick Barry was one of the greatest free throw shooters of the 60s and 70s, and he shot a two-handed underhand shot. A little basketball knowledge for you, D, huh? Millennials, we're going to reference <laughs> things that you like, too. Don't worry. Will Chamberlain, he tried it for a while. That in fact, Rick Barry always used to say Shaquille O'Neal would have scored a lot more points had he done the granny shot. Well, he didn't call it the granny shot. Anyway, the underhanded shot. But uh, anyway, so probably didn't take much. Bernie was so excited, he probably ran to his wife, goes, Jane, Jane, you won't believe this. Barack Obama just called me and invited me to play in the basketball game. I'm going to be a little tougher, though, Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Let me just put this out here. I've already discussed it. I just wrote a reader story in this. I'm a Bernie crap. I voted for Bernie. I'm going to withhold my support for a little while for Joe Biden to see what I can get for it, huh? Ah, just because Bernie went for him doesn't mean you can get a... I want something. Hey, I don't know. Wait, what should I get, D? How about a new TV? Hey, Biden. Well, bring that TV in. Oh, that's probably illegal. <laughs> don't really want a new TV. Uh, but uh, anyway, so what do I want from Barack Obama uh, in exchange, uh, or excuse me, from Joe Biden, to think about that. Maybe, I don't know, healthcare for all, Medicare, uh, a pledge to support Medicare for all. That would do, that would probably seal the deal. Just, you know, I know you'd be reversing everything you stood for for the last six months, but nobody cares. Nobody's going to pay attention to what you said in last summer's debate. I mean, Trump may make a commercial out of it, but who cares about that? Why, Democrats should stop worrying about commercials from Trump. Uh, so anyway, in the article... Barack Obama, in the New York Times article, Barack Obama was sort of ruminating about what he might have done differently uh, during his campaign, excuse me, during his presidency uh, that would have protected the country from Trump. In other words, there were things that Barack Obama did between 2008 and 2016 that when, I know you, even if you love Barack Obama, you have to concede this, that uh, led or helped lead uh, to Trump's uh, victory. And when I heard him, when I read this in the story about him ruminating, it kind of brought back a memory of another basketball-related theme. D, just bear with me here. This goes way back in time to the early O's. The Bulls had a very sardonic coach named Scott Skiles, and they had a very... Uh, oh, I remember Scott Skiles. Yeah, he was a wise guy. And they, they had a center named Eddie Curry, We'd get kind of lethargic, to put it uh, mildly, in the middle of games. Wouldn't really hustle a lot. I just remember being a kid getting basketball cards, and uh, each pack was full of Scott Skiles-type <laughs> players. Yeah. Never got like the good ones, <laughs> just like Scott Skiles and uh, Tom Gugliotta. Yeah, that's how it works with uh, basketball or baseball cards. <laughs> There's tons of Scott Skiles cards. Damn, who is Grant Long? <laughs> I like Grand Law. And, yeah, and like I, maybe one Michael Jordan card. Anyway, so Scott Skiles, very sardonic coach, was asked, what could uh, this sort of lethargic, uh, almost lazy center Eddie Curry do uh, to get more rebounds? And Skiles replied, jump, which I always thought was kind of funny, you know, just jump. Uh, so, Obama, what could you have done uh, to have avoided um, the disaster, the debacle of the Trump presidency? I don't know. How about anything like resist? This goes back to what uh, uh, the whole notion that Barack Obama dedicated his career to, which is was uh, articulated by Michelle Obama. When they go low, I go high. So this notion that there's uh, nothing but bipartisanship, this notion that Republicans and Democrats get along. And I'm thinking about this in the context of Wisconsin. So reading Barack Obama's, uh, this article about Barack Obama reaching out to Bernie Sanders and reading about Barack Obama ruminating and thinking about what he might have done dif dif differently. I'm thinking about Wisconsin. The Democrats are finally 
emerging slowly, not completely, taking baby steps toward emerging from the devastation of what down at what went down in Wisconsin, which started in 2010 in the middle of Barack Obama's first term. And in the 2010 midterm election, Scott Walker took control of the governor's uh, mansion in, in Wisconsin. The Republicans took control of the House and the Senate. It was a devastating loss. I've always convinced that those 2010 midterms um, resulted in part because Barack Obama just dropped the ball and Barack Obama's followers dropped the ball on just generating the enthusiasm of their base. They sort of went to sleep a little bit at the wheel. And the midterm elections, I know there's usually the the party in charge of the White, the party that holds the White House does uh, poorly t- in midterm elections, but they really did poorly in 2010. There was no real reason for it uh, other than they took their eye off the ball and fell into f- believing all that BS about how there's, it's just no Republican, no red states, no blue states, just the United States. Anyway, what did Walker do? One, boom, he... Um, uh, when they, with, with the Republican control of the House and the Senate, they gerrymandered all the legislative districts so that they have it would be even harder to remove them. So now you have uh, voters in Wisconsin voting for a majority of Democrats, but the uh, Republicans hold the House and the Senate because they've gerrymandered those uh, districts. And two, uh, perhaps the most uh, important uh, move that Walker and the Republicans made, they gutted the unions. We talk about this with Ed Maher all the time. They, they uh, pretty much cut off at the knees all the public works employees uh, unions in the state of Wisconsin. And those are unions that support Democrats. If you destroy the unions, you're really ruining the Democratic Party. You're hurting the Democratic Party. You're injuring it. And what did Obama do uh, in the in the face of that? Nothing. He, again, he pretended like, well, you know, there's a fight. On one hand, this. On the other hand, that. I don't recall him going to Wisconsin and, uh, and joining the resistance. I know a lot of friends of mine and D, you know them too. They in Chicago, a lot of good lefties, a lot of Bernie Krats went up to Wisconsin. Remember, they were pounding the drum uh, in the middle of the Capitol and uh, calling on union uh, union activists from around the country to lead the charge to defend union rights. Wisconsin. I don't remember where the mainstream Democrats were. That's in the middle when they were still drinking that Kool Aid, that bizarre Kool Aid. They were even drinking it here in Illinois. Like, well, you know, the Republicans have a point. I mean, you know, we have to watch those pension costs. They're going, they're going kind of high. And, you know, the unions have had it pretty good. Maybe we should loosen things up, you know, a little bit with the unions. And I don't know, unions, you're going to have to take one for the team here. And so what happened? They, Walker and the Republicans cut off the unions in Wisconsin at the knees. Without the unions, the Democrats were weaker. Yes, Barack Obama was able to win in 2012, but that was like a personality win for Barack Obama. It wasn't a win for progressive values. It wasn't a win for the Democratic Party. And in 2016, Hillary Clinton got cut off at the knees. And uh, so, yeah, Barack Obama's lack of resistance in 2010 led to uh, Donald Trump's, help lead to Donald Trump's victory in 2016. So if you're ruminating about what you did and didn't do, Barack Obama, I'm giving you um, some thoughts on that one. Of course, having said all that, if the phone were to call right now, if the phone were to ring right now, yep, and it's Barack Obama. (gasps) Mr. President, yes, can I play basketball with you? He's Barack the Peacemaker, everybody. We got a great show today. Laureen Targos will be here. She'll be talking. Oh, she's a Bernie supporter. We talk. What will Laureen Targos want? Uh, LT? To, uh, LT, you know. I mean, what does she want to hear from uh, 
uh, Biden to get her to vote for him. You know, as I yes, I said it yesterday. Uh, there's three kinds of Bernie Kratz, uh, and I, I, there's the one that will just hold his or her nose and vote for uh, Biden anyway, no matter where he lives. There's the other who will hold his nose and uh, vote for Biden, but only if he lives or she lives in a swing state where a vote really matters. And then there's the third category of Bernie Kratz who won't vote for Biden no matter what, no matter where he, li- or she, he or she lives. So ask Lorene that. Also talk to her about what's going on with Hillco Gate. Uh, the city of Chicago thought it would be a good idea to allow this uh, developer to knock down this uh, uh, this co- uh, this coal plant smokestack in the middle of the pandemic. One of the dumbest ideas I've heard from the city of Chicago in a long, long time. So plenty of political talk ahead of us. Dr. D, looking for something there. Are you okay? Yeah, we're good. I had to plug my computer in. I was oh, about to die. Yeah, got to do that. Anyway, uh, we will now bring... <laughs> You caught me off guard there. You were oh, like, yeah, hey, I know. You're looking for a quarter or something? We're going a little batty up here in the attic. Anyway, the young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor, with the news. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Oh, well, quarter. <laughs> it's probably contaminated. Don't touch it. Oh, you're right. All right, let's get right into what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. First up, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. And that's okay, buddy. No one's perfect, especially in politics. Our president is a fine example of this. <laughs> that was our president. As he the runs old, the country. This the guy. <laughs> that was the windmill guy, right? <laughs> now, if you've been following uh, the local news, you're already aware that Governor Pritzker has had his fair share of the Donald in the last month. He and other governors, well, who give a damn, have been going back and forth with President Trump trying to get more supplies and more help federally. A while back, uh, Pritzker told Trump to do his damn job. Remember that? Mm. Yep. Trump then took a few jabs back at him during a couple of his god-awful daily press briefings. For those wondering what the presidential protocol is during a countrywide pandemic, well, we're seeing it on television every day. Don't be the adult in the room. Trash talk and belittle elected officials who are trying to look out for their citizens on Twitter and television. Don't hold back, by the way, on that. And finally... Own up to nothing. <laughs> That's the recipe, D. Take notes, young aspiring politician. <laughs> yeah. And the weird part about it is, as awful as all of that sounded, and as hard up as a lot of us are at the moment, somehow, this little fight between our governor and our president is very entertaining. And the plot thickens. Our billionaire governor <laughs> finally said, to hell with you, Donnie. Illinois is going to figure this out on our own. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, and hey, Chicago Magazine, you left her off the list of 50 most powerful women in Chicago. Tina Svondelez. Yeah, they only had Fran on there. They should have had Tina on there. Wow. We have a whole list of people they left off. We did it yesterday, D. What the hell are you thinking, Chicago Come Magazine? Come on, Chicago Magazine. Kick off that Ricketts lady and put Svondelez on there. Hold Am on, I right? D. Hold on, D. All right, they take care of that list, all right? Come on, Chicago Magazine. Get in the game. If you missed yesterday's show, go check it out. A lot of that bit happened yesterday. <laughs> One more time, Ben. Yeah, we hold, on. hold on. Don't rip up anything important now. Oh, hold on. This could be the, you know, this is the, oh, no, it's the deed to my house. All right, there we go. All right. <laughs> my Trump check. I just ripped it up for that gag. All right, the following comes from Tina Fondella's Ben, go get some tape. We'll tape that up after the show. Moments after President Donald Trump backed down from a claim that he had, quote, the ultimate authority over states to reopen the country. Exciting. Governor Governor J.B. Pritzker on Tuesday said that he's glad the commander-in-chief has recognized the U.S. Constitution while also calling Trump, quote, nearly irrelevant. 
when it comes to coronavirus testing. Pritzker's televised comments on CNN's Aaron Burnett out front. Ben, you love that show. Aaron Burnett out front, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not quite sure I've ever seen it. I have a confession to make. I don't have cable. I'm really at a loss. Well, these comments came after Trump. Uh, after- have you ever seen it? No. Okay. <laughs> Do you have cable? Who's Aaron Burnett? <laughs> Uh-oh. I have YouTube. All right. These comments came after a Trump news conference uh, in which the president said he will, quote, authorize governors to reopen their states. Trump said he will be authorizing each individual governor of each individual state to implement a reopening of their state in a time and a manner as most appropriate. We have the audio here. Uh, shout out to CNN for this audio. Please, for the love of God, don't sue us. We're just doing this show in an attic. It's the last thing we need. All right. <laughs> CNN sue us. So let's hear here. Here's J.B. Pritzker on CNN. The president also said a few moments ago in that briefing, Governor, and I know you've got a lot going on, so I don't know how much of every word of it you heard, but he said when the testing question came up that the governors are supposed to do the testing. It's not up to the federal government. So basically, any issues, any problems are are your fault. Uh, your response? Well, that wasn't his tune earlier. In fact, uh, let me go all the way back to when he said it was a hoax, and all of us were trying to deal with it as individual governors. Uh, Illinois was the second state in the United States, I think the same day, actually, as California, to put our stay-at-home order in place. Um, it's having the effect of leveling uh, out the cases here, but we're the ones who had to spin up testing. Um, I asked over and over again for testing from the federal government. They kept saying they were going to deliver millions of tests across the country. Country. They haven't done that. We've done that ourselves. We have some of the best medical institutions in the entire country. They've done that work in our state labs, too. So we're, we're producing thousands of tests. We're producing our own VTM to make sure that we've got all the supplies that we need. We've gotten very little help from the federal government. It's fine. I've given up on uh, any promises that have been made. I hope something will get delivered from the federal government, but I don't expect it anymore. I've given up on any promises that were made. Listen, yeah, it's. I think that's probably the best policy that any government, governor can have. And uh, at this stage, I don't know how anybody who isn't insanely dedicated to the MAGA hat could vote for Donald Trump. I understand a lot of my uh, Bernie Krat uh, friends are really, you know, tormented over whether they're going to vote for Joe Biden because Joe Biden just philosophically represents is like the diametric opposite of where my lefty friends would like the party and the country to go. So I truly understand, you know, feeling like your principles at stake, but I don't know how any sane person could vote for Donald Trump. That performance on Monday, we, I don't think we've really talked about the performance. I, I'm losing track of time. Today is Wednesday, Monday, you know, up here in the attic, I'm losing track of time. Monday's performance, Steve, where he brought out the video and uh, it, it, it was just like a stage campaign uh, appearance. Yeah. Uh, was so bizarre. And it just the pretense, the notion that he was the president, he was going to be presidential. We talked about this early on. He gave that first speech. Remember the first speech? I can't remember. Again, I've lost. I think we we're still back at the studio when he gave the first COVID-19 speech. And uh, it was from uh, the Oval Office. And he was trying to look all presidential and everything. And he came across like a zombie when he was reading. The, you know, he was actually oh, reading yeah. the text. It was very bizarre. It was like he was medicated or something. <laughs> and that then then they showed the before and the after where he would drop the F-bomb. Yeah, somewhere between then and now, uh, Trump just said, ah, screw this, I'm winging it. I'm winging I'm, I'm, <laughs> it. I'm going to 
try to rally my base. You know, like every day it's a different thing. He's mad at the doctor, Fauci, you know. Yeah, he, this script's got some important <laughs> stuff on it, numbers. Yeah, whatever. I'm winging it. No more scripts. Yeah. He's, so then it was, I think it was Monday. He was when he says, like, I'm the king. By the way, good editorial in the Sun-Times. King Trump. Uh, good editorial. I'm the king. I'll decide when we go back, when the economy gets going again. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, every... Suddenly, every law professor in the country is like opining, no, the Constitution doesn't work that way. And then Trump, <laughs> the next day, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean, did I say that? I didn't mean that. I mean, he's a lunatic. So, you know, all the people that work for him have to like suck up to him and kiss his butt, make sure he doesn't get mad at them, say all the right things to him. It's And and, and the people who are on the outside, like the, the Pritzkers of the world, are trying to figure out, you know, if I say something nice today, will it just come back to haunt me tomorrow? And so finally, it's like, forget the game. Uh, I'm just going to just wing it, go on my own. And so I'm like I'm saying, I don't know. This is why I've been saying all along, D. I believe Trump will lose. As flawed a candidate as Joe Biden is, and on top of everything else, got the sexual assault thing going, uh, as flawed a candidate as he is, as incapable he is of finishing a sentence, I believe he will defeat Donald Trump, and I be- I say this because I cannot believe, I have cannot believe that my fellow Americans, and I'm not talking about the MAGA hat wearers, you know, like the columnists for the Tribune or the editorial writers for the Tribune. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about like you know sane, rational people. Uh, I do not believe they could uh, vote to continue this madness like we've been seeing in the White House in the middle of a pandemic, Trump, these mood swings, these policy swings. Like you said, his obsession with promoting himself and defending himself. I just, I, you know what? I have a, maybe I'm too optimistic, D. I know you kind of been putting money, I think quietly putting the, I think you took that Trump check and put it down in Vegas. Oh yeah, yeah that's you know? where I went. <laughs> that's what I did. I know you've been talking that you think that uh, Trump could beat Biden. A lot of my lefty friends, they always say, it's just going to be like 2016 all over again, you know, because they just, that was what happened last time. So you just assume it's going to happen again. But I, Well, there's some familiar patterns happening, like the Bernie situation. And, Ber- Bernie, Bernie's like loving Biden. Uh, by the way, I, I just before we went on the air, I got this um, uh, this email from David Sirota. David Sirota is the former strategist and policymaker, and I don't know, his press aide to uh, Bernie Sanders, and now he has his own um, he has his own blog that he's writing since uh, he left the campaign. And I didn't have a chance to uh, really take the deep dive in it because I got it just before we went on the air. But he goes into what I could tell, like behind the scenes stuff that was happening in the Bernie, the, t- the the different factions in the Bernie Sanders campaign, those who were saying go harder, go be tougher on Biden. I think that uh, Bernie Sanders uh, really wants to defeat Donald Trump. It's pretty obvious. I was joking that he just, uh, you know, threw all in because he got a call from Barack Obama. Okay, maybe that was part of it. But uh, uh, I think uh, that... Bernie, I need you to... Um... Get the hell out of the race. No, no. I need you uh, to play power forward on my uh, pickup basketball team. You got that great two-handed set Anyway, so I think that's different in itself. But even if it's not, even if there's still this lingering uh, animosity between uh, Bernie Kratz and the Dems, and that'll probably be around for a long, long time, D, I think Biden will be victorious. All right, we got more from Pritzker on CNN. And no, Jim on the live stream chat, he didn't have the sign language guy with him. 
So um, you're saying you've given up on them on this. You know, he also said there as he ended his press conference that there'll be severe consequences for, for governors uh, if they don't get this right, basically referring to the reopening. Um, do you see any well, teeth in that threat? Well, the, the severe consequence is the health and safety of, of the people of my state. That's the severe consequence. I mean, the president at this point is near irrelevant when it comes to this question of testing anyway. Um, and they, they've done very little for us as a state. So uh, we're doing the work. Look, we're also spinning up contact tracing. The state of Massachusetts did a great job putting a collaborative together. We're actually looking at copying that and doing that in the state of Illinois for contact tracing. Um, and then we've ordered <coughs> millions and millions of dollars worth of PPE and items of PPE that we're getting yeah. delivered from all over the the world. We've had to compete with everybody, including with Donald Trump, for that PPE. But, you know, we're, we're getting it. We're doing what we need to do, despite him. Despite him. Yes, yeah, the exact opposite of Obama. Remember in uh, 2012, Obama going to New Jersey, meeting with Chris Christie, and again, promoting the notion that uh, the leaders of both parties are working together uh, to, um, to uh, deal with the crisis on the East, which, by the way, was compared to this, minor, um, or relatively minor. I guess I think differently from my house were destroyed by the hurricane. Uh, what a different time, huh, D? It's just, we're just going to... Uh, the president is uh, pretty much irrelevant uh, in this matter, and it's absolutely the case. One day to the next, he just says something different. All right, uh, moving on here. And Pritzker don't play. It was released today in the Sun-Times that Governor J.B. Pritzker is planning to obtain millions, or as our president calls it, millions... <laughs> He says that so many times, especially during these press briefings. Uh, millions of masks and gloves from China and bring those supplies back to Illinois on charter jets. But he's keeping the details secret out of fear. Fear that the Trump administration might seize the cargo for the federal stockpile. Boy, I hope wow. Trump doesn't read the Sun-Times. <laughs> They just gave it away. Uh, I'm sure he gets a home subscription just like me, D. And he was very happy that his uh, arrived this morning. Home delivered as always. <laughs> oh, what's this? <laughs> My beloved bright one. Great column on the Bulls. That, that is so bizarre. Just think about that. He's hoping that Trump, to, to, yeah, he could sneak it in. Like needed supplies. Everybody's cutting their own deals wherever they can. <laughs> Don't tell Trump that I'm getting these supplies because he may take the supplies from us and what? Stockpile them in the White House? Insane times, ladies and gentlemen. Make this for subscribers only. We got to keep this as secret as possible. Do you right? think they'll allow people who get the Sun Times only on their phones and their computers to have access to that information? Or is that only for the home subscribers who get the newspaper? delivered to their door as did i today jamie pritzker will be giving his daily covid19 press conference at 2 30 not sure when you're listening to this at the moment but go watch it if you want to know exactly what the hell is going on okay moving on chicago mayor Lori lightfoot today mayor lightfoot fired up her computer and turned on her zoom app <laughs> And attended the virtual city council meeting. Ben, you're starting to come around on Zoom, aren't you? No, Zoom sucks. <laughs> I hate to say it. I know everybody out there loves it. You know, it's, this is a whole tangent here, but you know, am I? Uh, people fall in love with this, like these gadgets. They really just fall in love with the marketing plan. Everybody remember Gmail? Oh, everybody loved their Gmail. But I love Gmail. You don't have Gmail, and now it's Zoom. But even Dr. Howard Ehrman, who loves, I think he had a tattoo of Zoom. He loved. Oh, it so much. stop. 
I think even Dr. Howard Irvin is saying, you know, this Zoom thing. Zoom is terrible. I don't know. Whenever we do a Zoom interview, it's horrible. The phone works better than Zoom. I think I do it through my phone, and I think maybe if you do it through a computer, it'll sound better. Tough times, guys. All it's right. Tough times. I don't know. Haven't we tried it through a computer? Oh, that's Dr. Howard Irvin on the <laughs> brow line. Look at my Zoom tattoo. Dr. Howard Irman loves Zoom, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> Zoom tattoo. No, Zoom. He got a Zoom tattoo. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Zoom. It sounds horrible half the time, and it's just so stressful. We're up here in the attic and can barely hear what a guy's saying. And just get the regular phone. That works just fine. Or I hate to say it, give Zuckerberg credit, but Facebook Messenger. But yeah, yeah. I was at that point like, ah, should we be trashing Zoom so much? Hey, let's just lean into it. You know, America, I'm just going to point this out. Do you guys fall in love with these <laughs> slogans, with these uh, brand names? You just love them, you, and, you, and you don't even question it. Oh, then by you, the way, you need to Venmo me uh, $30. <laughs> there we go, Venmo. That's the other. You know, you fall in love with these things, and then they just become part of your vocabulary, and then you get hostile to people who don't share them. I'm just saying that as a guy, an outsider, just an observation. America. You love Zoom, you love Gmail, you love Venmo, Slack. Oh, they love Slack. Oh, don't get Ben started on <laughs> Slack. Slack. Oh, wow. Oh, Today, God. Mayor Lightfoot uh, attended the virtual city council meeting. Uh, I'm refreshing the Sun-Times for updates on that meeting, and I'll be giving those updates if they become available. Uh, we'll talk about it. Maybe tomorrow. Who knows? But we're going to talk about it regardless. All right? It's Wednesday. we got two more shows to go. All right? Well, by the way, I should just tell you we got a, a text message from Dave Gloetz, oh. our uh, ace city council reporter. Comes on the show after every council meeting. Some <laughs> <laughs> funny bay. He's got a good sense of the bizarre and the absurd, and the city council is... Per- <laughs> You can generally expect them to provide that. And it's, you know what, D, I really look forward to it in the middle of the pandemic. It's like, oh, yeah, my beloved city council. Uh, but uh, he said that there wasn't, that not much went down in this meeting. But the next meeting, that'll oh, be the, the next one. one. <laughs> next one. Not I, this one, but not, the next one. I think he said the next, they schedule one for next week. So uh, we'll have uh, Dave Glatz coming back with his city council report. Always look for, he always got those bits and more and more uh, Raylos in them. Alderman Raymond Lopez is uh, usually featured in them. So looking forward to that next update from Dave Gloetz. Yep. So until then, Ben Jarofsky, let's talk about that giant smokestack that was demolished and came crashing down during a pandemic in Chicago. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woe Man Spielman. On Saturday, Hillco Redevelopment Partners demolished a 95-year-old smokestack. Ben, that... You're damn near as old as that smokestack. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I remember when that smokestack was built, me. I was walking down the street. I was 10 years old. On Saturday, Hillco Redevelop par- uh, Redevelopment uh, Partners demolished a 95-year-old smokestack at the site of a shuttered coal-fired power plant without abiding by the safety measures that it had promised to implement. That caused a giant plume of dust to rain down on the area, potentially creating a public health hazard In the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, homes, vehicles, streets, and sidewalks were left filthy. Armed with a city demolition permit that local alderman Mike Rodriguez been of what ward? Mike Rodriguez, the 22nd one. That's correct. D? Come on. Who was the alderman before him? Uh, I don't know. Ice Cube. Oh, that was going to be my guess. Out of all the times I didn't guess Ice Cube, the answer was Ice Cube. He was great uh, next Friday. Yeah, no, of course it was Rick Minos. You knew that. Sure. 
Armed with the city demolition permit that local alderman Mike Rodriguez of the 22nd Ward said he was powerless to block the subcontractor Hilco Redevelopment Partners demolished the 95-year-old smokestack uh, at that site. On Tuesday, Rodriguez said he would have delayed the smokestack demolition if he could have and twice tried to do just that, only to be told by the city that the project would proceed. He now plans to introduce an ordinance requiring so-called special use permits from the Zoning Board of Appeals before future large-scale demolitions. Fran the Woman writes, hours after taking office, Mayor Lori Lightfoot signed an executive order stripping aldermen of their unbridled control over licensing and permitting in their wards. On Saturday, the mayor's decision to start delivering on the central promise of her corruption-fighting mayoral campaign came back to haunt the residents of Little Village, according to several aldermen. Ben, you take it from there. Well, we're going to be talking about this with Lorene Targos in a little while, but the, just the, the 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 phrase, corruption-fighting mayoral campaign, this gets back to the issue of alderman and prerogative. You know, in the middle of a pandemic, I welcome this discussion. In the middle of talking about the insane president of the United States, who is supposed to be giving reassuring briefings, but instead turns them into what? Uh, infomercials. Uh, so in the middle of that, it's reassuring to talk about automatic prerogative once again. I remember remember we had this discussion many, many times and there were a few uh, misguided lefty listeners out there who kept insisting that automatic prerogative was a real issue. I kept trying to tell them it's not a real issue, but you know. Yeah, let's upset those listeners again. Let's go ahead. My beloved lefties, when they get a hold of something, they just want to hold it for the rest of their life. I know automatic prerogative is horrible. It's a completely fabricated, made-up issue, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, turned into this great crusade in order to make herself look good by making aldermen look petty and corrupt. And yes, there are some petty and corrupt aldermen in the city council uh, down through the years. Many of them have have gone to prison uh, on various corruption charges, but the notion that we are better off as a city by turning over control over all local decisions to unnamed bureaucrats is absurd. It's anti-democratic, makes no sense. Uh, And uh, in particular, the notion that Alderman already had all the power was completely fabricated. Absolutely. There is no Alderman in the city of Chicago uh, during the reigns of Rahm and uh, during the reigns of Mayor Daly, uh, Baby Daly, Richard M. Daly, uh, before Rahm, who ever had more say over any pro- uh, program or uh, development or project in his or her ward. This is a completely made up issue that Lori Lightfoot had used to her benefit. And uh, part of the reason why lefties uh, cling to it so much is because aldermanic prerogative was used as an excuse to kill some uh, subsidized housing programs on the far northwest side of Chicago, where uh, the alderman Napolitano said uh, he was able to kill the projects by saying, I have aldermanic prerogative, when in reality, he was able to kill the projects because Mayor Rahm Emanuel let him do that. But aldermen throughout the city, uh, you know, now have lost control, apparently, over things like weather. The, um, the, the coal stack, excuse me, the, um, the coal plant um, can be demolished and uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Now, putting aside the notion of aldermanic prerogative, putting aside the notion of whether uh, Alderman Mike Rodriguez or uh, some unnamed bureaucrat in the, the uh, Lori Life Administration should have the say, over such a permit. I think an investigation should be done as to who thought it was a good idea uh, to begin this demolition project in the middle of the pandemic. 
that to me is like an absurd decision in and of itself. Uh, so I would love to see an investigation done. It kind of reminds me, I mean, it's a far, uh, you know, it's environmentally far more destructive, but it's, it's kind of reminds me of the, the Trump sign, which is a huge irritant to anybody with a, uh, a brain in the city of Chicago. That big Trump sign on the Trump building right on the Chicago River, River. somehow or other, that got there. And there was nothing we could do about that permit. Remember that? There was no fight over that. There was no resistance to that. Uh, it was suddenly there. And then I remember Mayor Rahm going, nothing I could do about it. It just happened. It's always funny, like these decisions are made and and somehow or other, the, the mayor's powerless or they think it's a good idea. So I would really love to uh, do a, you know, like, Go back in time and take a point-by-point -point look at who thought it was a good idea to do this demolition project uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Now they're saying, well, all the safety measures uh, that they promised to take, they didn't take. and that's what. But even with the safety measures, who thought this would be a good idea, D? So, you think, what, this thing's been sitting there for 95 years, as Dennis said. You know, it's got some dust in there. Maybe not a good idea to uh, demolish demolish it uh, in the middle of the pandemic. So uh, this story is just beginning and um, curious where it's going to take us, Steve. All right. So we're going to be talking more uh, about this with Lorene Targos. Uh, this has just got Chicago political news junkie written all over at this story. So Ben and Lorene are going to be taking the deep dive on this a little later on. Make sure you tune in. Well, I say a little later on, but I mean, it's going to be about uh, eight minutes from now. So just hang tight with us here. Uh, before we wrap up and get to Lorene, let's go to you. The live stream chat. That is right. What is happening, everybody, on the live stream chat? Uh, we're asking everybody if they got their Trump checks. Uh, Brianna weighed in. She got hers. Ben, she spent it already. <laughs> okay. It didn't last long. Yeah, I'm sure people got bills to pay. Yeah. It's funny. I was uh, I was waiting out sure on both do. my internet and my phone bill. Like, you know, hey, balls in your court, Sprint <laughs> and Comcast. What you going to do? Uh, as soon as the Trump checks came, oh. Comcast, Sprint, hey, give us your money. Shut me down. So I got Sprint back up. When I get home, I'm going to get Comcast going back up. That's how it goes, everybody. All right. Uh, let's see here. Wait. Oh, Ben, you haven't got your check, right? Uh, it probably was direct deposit. So I haven't seen uh, it yet, but I'm hoping I got it. You got yours. Uh, my daughter's got theirs. Wait, hey, what am I? Chop liver? <laughs> <laughs> now, as you know, I hear in Chicago, snowy day. Yeah, middle of April, snowy oh, yeah. day. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, Pat Rod weighed in because uh, uh, the roads, and he says, someone needs to tell Mayor Lightfoot what happened the last time a mayor did not uh, take care of the snowy roads. Um, very good. A history lesson. Uh, that would be 1979. <laughs> I can't believe Pat Rod was around in nineteen. I don't think he was. Yeah, right. He's like my age. Yeah, he's a, a millennial. Uh, nineteen seventy nine. I think he just listens to this show enough to uh, know old things about Chicago. Well, I I feel like this is nothing like nineteen seventy nine. I again, I was I was around in nineteen seventy nine. I remember it uh, very clearly, uh, and there was so much snow. My God, you walk down the the sidewalks and the uh, parking meters, the tops of the parking meters would be at your ankles. That's how much snow there was. Uh, and uh, Mayor Belandic at the time. Did a horrific job. Oh God! It was just it was it was probably as bad as Donald Trump is at handling the pandemic. Although again, the um, the stakes are a lot higher now because this is a, a life threatening disease where that was 
well, there were pe- lives threatened by being unable to get out of their house, but nothing on the, the scale. Uh, anyway, I remember this one infamous moment where Mayor Belandix, uh assured the people of Chicago that if they dug their, oh God, I remember this, they dug their cars out of the snow, and there was massive amounts of snow, and uh, drove them to city uh, parking lots. They could park the cars there uh, in the parking lots, and so they would be off the streets, and they clear the streets and get some kind of mobility and accessibility going. So all these uh, Chicagoans dutifully went out, and they shoveled uh, the snow away, and they dug out their cars, and they drove them to the parking lots as designated by the city. And guess what, D? Their parking lots were not cleared as snow. <laughs> these people showed up. Hey! <laughs> And then they went back to their old park, uh, their own little space in front of their house, and somebody else had parked there. Oh, God, were people mad. Uh, they didn't know what to do with their cars. They were so mad at Belan. And you know what? Having said all that, the guy still got close to 50% of the vote in the election. Well, this, that's the part of the story everybody forget. Chicagoans were enraged, uh, and they, they threw Belanik out. Yeah, he still got like 45% of the vote or something like that in that election. This shows you Chicagoans love their mayors, D. You know what I mean? The guy gives them the middle finger uh, on snow removal, and forget what an abomination he uh, he made of the trains where, like, you know, Really, it was like he basically was blatantly servicing the north side uh, to the detriment of the south side. Uh, forget that for the moment. Uh, his inability to oversee city services. And people still voted for the guy. I remember aldermen. Uh, I shouldn't mention their names because they've passed on. Defending him at the city council meetings. He's done a good job. You know, it was a, you can't have, it was a guy, it was a, it wasn't a man-made disaster. It was an act of nature. They're talking about the blizzard. Yeah, that's my city. I love my city in Chicago so much. Right. He's done a good job. More comments on the live stream chat. By the way, Ben, when you talk about someone giving the middle finger, you don't have to give me the middle finger when you do it. <laughs> Guys, you can't see it on camera. He gave me the middle finger. Flip the bird at me. I did not. All right, moving on here. Moving uh, on up. Moving on up. KMA Barry, he's got jokes. Uh, he says, oh, we don't need the roads clear because Lori Lightfoot ordered the snow and ice to stay at home. <laughs> That's good. Stay at home and don't get a haircut. <laughs> don't no, get sorry. a haircut. Good call there from Ben. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, we got some Scott Skiles talk going on here in the Ben Drofsky uh, Show live oh, wow. stream chat. KMA Barry also says Scott Skiles was the Rahm Emanuel of basketball coaches. <laughs> he was a sourpuss. He was, and he was short, too. Uh, he had a lot in common with him. By the way, we, we talked about Chicago Magazine yesterday. Uh, with the, what was it, 50 Most Powerful Women? In Chicago. Yeah, I had a lot of issues with that. Yes, no. we did. No Spondellas. Yeah. No. Uh, SDG should have been second. No Candace Castillo. No, I know. Oh, my God. No uh, JT20, Jeanette Taylor. Oh, come on. And Lorraine, uh, who'll be our next no guest. Lorraine Targos. Come on. She'll be on next year, though. I got a feeling. I'm calling her right now. Lorraine Targos will be at next year's. Uh, yeah. If she, Chicago she, Magazine is a magazine it, next year. Who knows? She is a badass. Uh Lorraine Targos on several fronts. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of issues with that list. But the the one that there was an article I saw when I was looking at the list, they were giving grades to Rom. I, I didn't have a chance to really take the deep dive on it, but <laughs> Rom's post mayoral grades. I'm like, he got like an A or something or and a B and a C. You know, like, oh, I remember what you said about the list when you looked at it. You called it a BS. I yeah. remember that. Uh, like, are you kidding me? Man. This, this guy's the worst post mayor ever. I mean, Mayor Daly had, 
at least he had the courtesy, you know, the dignity just to leave. You know, the city was ch- so Rom, you know, but Rom is like acting as though everything he did in Chicago was a model for other cities. Aram, message to Rom. The, the city of Chicago basically asked you to leave, and you were you were smart enough to read the writing on the wall, and you left. But here's the truth: it's those reporters, man. You want to, you want Ron to call you back? Got to say nice things about him, right, D? That's yeah, my. That's problem. why he never called you back. Oh damn, man! I, I gotta do not. the redo of my whole career. I right, will right. do a few more uh, comments here. Ro, hey, what's going on, Ro? Ro, uh, Ro weighs in and says Ben is absolutely right. Obama went way to the center, and the voters abandoned the Democrats as a result. He made so many promises, and we walked them way back. Ro, I'm with you 100. percent And I say this, you know, kind of loving Obama. I realize I'm conflicted here. I hear him talking. And I'm like, that's my guy. And like, if he called me up, I would all play basketball with him just like Bernie. But when I look at the history of what went down over the last 12 years and that whole notion that Obama preached that he used to put himself in a position where he could be elected president, uh, that we are red state. We're not a red state. We're not a blue state. We're the United States, which sounds nice, but in reality is not practiced at all by the Republicans. That has really hurt not just the Democratic Party, but the country. That's why Obamacare right now is hanging on by its fingernails. Donald Trump is in court right now, has his lawyers in court to destroy Obamacare just because it has Obama's name on it, just because it's part of Obama's legacy. And that's this notion that the Republicans will do the right thing if you're just nice to them is part of that legacy. And I think that's steering us in the wrong direction. I think that the Democrats should stand up for the values that they believe in and not back off and make the Republicans come to them for once. So I'm with you 100%, Roe. And then look at Wisconsin. You know, Obama should have stood with those unions in Wisconsin back in 2011. I was very disappointed when he did that, when he just pretended as though he had nothing to do with it. It's like, well, this fight. On one hand, you got the lefties, and the other hand, you got the conservatives. You know, that game that people play. Like, they're not really, they don't have a really stake in the game. They're kind of in the middle. Hey, everybody, don't miss our live broadcast from the Obama Center when it opens up. <laughs> Trust us, it's gonna, we're going to be there a lot doing the broadcast. <laughs> yeah, they're going to book us so fast. You know, we're not getting any calls from Obama anytime <laughs> soon. Oh, Ben, uh, would you like to play basketball with me? Yeah, sure. You see my set shot? All right, and uh, let's see here. Uh, Jim, our friend Jim, uh, made a great comment here, and I was going to ask you about it, Ben. Mm-hmm. I just got to find it. Here we Okay, here we go. Uh, Jim says, the Pritzkers can buy and sell Trump in a heartbeat. What do you think about that? Well, we don't know for certain <laughs> because uh, Trump won't release his tax statements. So we don't know for certain. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say, yes, that's the case. You know, that's the big debate we've had on the show down through uh, the years is Donald Trump withholding his tax statements because, as Monroe Anderson says, he's concealing bad deals with, uh, I don't know, nefarious agents of Putin. That's Monroe's theory. Or is he uh, withholding them because he's embarrassed at how much, uh, how little money he actually has, which is another theory out there. I'm not quite sure where I fall in this. Maybe it's a combination of both. But uh, my guess is that you're correct. Uh, Pritzker has more money than Trump. Yeah, I'm with you. Pritzker's way richer than Trump. I don't know about way. I, don't, Pr- I know about way. I don't know about way. I don't know about way. Wait, I don't know about way. Maybe a little more, but I don't know about way. Oh, hey, and uh, our good friend Antonio. He was on the live stream chat. Antonio uh, works at the station that fired you. Wait, 
my Antonio? Okay, he's not yours. That was weird. So, my Antonio? Yeah, Antonio from WCPT 820, the station of fire. Oh, wait, the station to say, hey, Ben, come here. Beat it. That station? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Now you're out at Antonio. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. KMA Barry waited uh, after, uh, I guess he recognized Antonio and put, ah, WCU Later's finest <laughs> in the house. WCU Yeah, man, that's what it was. WCU Later, Ben. Good times. <laughs> yeah, stop talking about those tiffs. All right, everybody. So that's that. Uh, we're going to be talking to Lorene Targos in just moments. We mentioned Monroe Anderson. Uh, we're going to talk with Monroe after uh, today's yeah. live stream. We're going to record it, and then we're going to post it on both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast make sure to check that out our midweek with monroe so be on the lookout for that but hey don't go anywhere when we come back lorene targos is going to join us we're going to be talking all th- this lady can talk about everything all right <laughs> local national uber uber city politics so much coming up with lorene targos don't go anywhere it's the ben jarofsky show live from Ben's house. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.
Welcome back to the Ben Jarosky Show, live from Ben's Attic. Laureen Targos is with me. Can, uh, I, don't, I can't see you yet on the Facebook Messenger phone, Laureen, but I can hear you, and that's what really matters. Welcome to our show, Laureen. Thank you. Should I try to get on the video? Nah, it's fine. You, we, can, we can riff. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. All right, All right now, okay. um, Laureen Targos, a frequent guest on this show, and she fits. Se- she wears several hats, to quote Den- Dennis, and so I'm just going to lay them out, Laureen, before we take the deep dive on all the issues of the day. Uh, number one, she's a scientist, works for the EPA. That's correct. And <laughs> uh, so we could talk about federal issues, environmental issues, et cetera, uh, with her. Uh, and uh, number two, she's a political activist. That's correct. Uh, of the Bernie Crack. Bernie Kratt persuasion, a Bernie supporter. Uh, so we can talk to her about uh, Bernie stepping out of the race and embracing Joe Biden and whether uh, she's going to follow suit. And number three, she is married to Alderman Byron Sixto Lopez, uh, Alderman of the 25th Ward, which adjoins the 22nd Ward, where uh, this, the city in its infinite wisdom decided it was a good idea to tear down a smokestack uh, in the middle of a pandemic. So we could talk about the whole issue of Alderman and prerogative and why the city does what it does. So a lot of ground to cover with Lorreen. I get, did I pretty much get everything, Lorreen? You did. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yes. And let's do the disclaimer we always do when you come on the show uh, to protect you right. f- from being bullied uh, by uh, unseen powerful people uh, in uh, at the EPA. Uh, you, you're the news. What? How do we how do we say this? The views and opinions of Lorena or Lorene's only do not reflect the EPA or the federal government or Donald Trump or so leave her alone. Is that good enough as a. Yep. I'm just a union member chatting with Ben. Okay. that's <laughs> She's a union member chatting with Ben, and she has First Amendment rights. And I know all you Republicans out there will protect her First Amendment rights if Donnie Trump comes after her because he doesn't like what she has to say. All right, Lorene, let's, right. let's start with the, um, the thing that's on my mind, the local news. We've been talking so much national news uh, and pandemic news and Donald Trump is out of his mind, insane news. But let's just talk about, uh, it's almost like as, as destructive it is to people on the Southwest side, it's almost a sense of normalcy. Um, the city of Chicago, in its infinite wisdom, decided to issue a demolition permit to a company that wanted to destroy a smokestack in the middle of a pandemic. If I read this in a book, Lorreen, I wouldn't believe it. Uh, it's almost mm-hmm. too bizarre for the city of Chicago. Why don't you uh, just take people, give people a little more information of where the, uh, the, the plant is, where the smokestack is, and, and how everything went down? Right. So um, I don't know the exact address of the plant, but it's somewhere off of I-55 in the Pulaski area. Mm-hmm. And um, it's about four miles southwest of where I live in Hilton. And um, I saw an article in Block Club on Friday saying, you know, that El Vejo, which is a little village environmental justice organization, was asking that this demolition not happen uh, during the pandemic, obviously. And um, then... You know, of course, I didn't wake up at 8 a.m. on Saturday, but, uh, you know, as soon as I got on social media, I saw people posting how um, terrible it was. And, you know, the photographer had been out there capturing um, what turned out to be one of the greatest historical environmental disasters um, in this country. I think, you know, future public health students will learn of this nationally. And um, since then, there's been a fallout, a lot of finger pointing, who did what, who's responsible for what, and. We're going to get a lot of answers in the days to come. 
Oh, in terms of the in, the damage, what kind of? In terms of the damage. Yeah, in terms of the damage, what what kinds of damage are we talking about? Um, and you know, in terms of smoke and ashes, et cetera, and so forth. Right. So you know, of course, like people are afraid, and there's anxiety and impacts mental health. But you know, this is an environmental disaster. So. We saw a 100-year-old smokestack that used to blow out coal ash for the last hundred years, um, coal smoke or whatever, um, fall down. And, you know, from my understanding, you know, asbestos may have been lining that whole tower. The city says it was removed, but we haven't seen any documents showing that it was removed. We haven't seen any lab reports or any, you know, anything has, nothing's been publicized showing that they had verification. Um, that asbestos was removed, um, lead, arsenic, all the things that are byproducts of, um, coal, of coal incineration, um, all of those things could be up in there. And really, you know, we're living in an age where people don't really trust their government to protect them from this type of thing. Um, you know, the, the pandemic has only deepened the distrust of the government to protect us from disasters. So for this to happen during that pandemic is just, uh, all the more breathtaking and of course people don't trust what was in there so we already know that you know soil in chicago and dust in chicago already has a background level of you know unacceptable levels of lead and that type of thing and you know i think we're in the coming days we're hopefully going to see test results of what was in the air and what was in the dust that landed in any, everybody's homes you know i know an instance when i was in graduate school um, I worked a lot on lead poisoning and there was a case where, you know, someone even demolished the house next door and the, the family in the next house didn't think anything of it. Their windows had been open, but had gotten very dusty in their house. And um, one of them happened to get a blood test and um, it came back that they had been lead poisoned just from the house next door um, demolishing. So the whole family had gotten lead poisoned just from inhaling the dust that had gotten into their home. Um, and so we're not, we're still, you know, who knows what might have happened, um, what these uh, people downwind of this, especially in the immediate area, how high their exposure was and to what they were exposed. Uh, the the mayor and uh, the mayor's aides have been saying uh, in the aftermath that the company did not follow the procedures that they had, uh, that they were supposed to follow in terms of uh, uh, using water to minimize the amount of ash that came into the air. And my immediate reaction to that is, even if they were following the guidelines, I don't understand why uh, this permit would have been issued, this demolition would have been allowed in the middle of this current health crisis. You know, you talk about mixed. Exactly. Mix, uh, that's the part that baffles me. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I agree. There's, um, you know, there's no safe level of exposure to whatever chemicals are in there and that we, again we still haven't seen what we've been exposed to and so what you'll see is you know even if they had you know a Noah's Ark amount of water ready to spray that down some dust may still have escaped yeah. and given this company's record of you know workers dying all the time here in Chicago uh, they had a worker die on December 30th 2019 um, and they've had workers uh, get injured in other states working with the same subcontractor so it's very frustrating to see um, them say like, oh, well, they had a permit. Well, there still would have been, it was still very likely that the way they were demolishing, that dust was going to escape off site. And
and then of course we saw the catastrophic amount of dust that was taken off of it. Uh, and, and now, uh, and then the other issue, of course, is the one that uh, I talked a little bit about already in the show, uh, and that gets into uh, the notion of aldermanic prerogative. Uh, and Lauren, you've heard me on this subject uh, many times, or maybe uh, I, maybe not. I've talked about this many times, um, but talk about the ability of a local alderman, in this case, uh, Michael Rodriguez, to use his authority to block such a demolition. Does that no longer exist in the city of Chicago? Um, you know, I'm always in the mindset that people are very powerful no matter what uh, space and society they occupy. So um, I think um, Alderman Rodriguez definitely has the power to chain himself to a bulldozer and, you know, take whatever crazy steps he wants to take. Um, but, you know, within you know, the normal realm of what the power is for, um, you know, Alderman uh, Hopkins of the second ward gave a report to Franz Spielman in the Sun Times yesterday talking about how he had been very involved in a lot of environmental demolitions that happened in his industrial corridor in his first term as Alderman last um, in the past four years. And um, he talked about how he was consulted in a very in-depth way, and um, it's a way that I don't, I haven't heard uh, Alderman Rodriguez say that he was consulted and involved. Uh, uh, The first point you made is an interesting one. If uh, an alderman or any citizen really wants to stop a project, you got to chain yourself uh, to a tree or you have to chain yourself uh, to the smokestack itself so that they can't demolish it. It's almost like dealing with Donald Trump. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's and, such an. And it could, it, you don't have to go that far, but even if he, you know, people can raise a stink. I mean, but you know, there's an instance here in the 25th ward where a concrete plant is going forward. They're issuing new permits to allow a concrete plant to operate here. Nobody wants it. It's going to add to the cumulative burden um, of what we breathe here in Tilson and in Bridgeport because on the border of Tilson and Bridgeport and. We haven't been able to stop it, even though there's a, our alderman opposes it and the community opposes it. They continue to receive permits from the city of Chicago. So in that case, what can we chain ourselves to? You know? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to point out that uh, uh, Lorraine's husband and Byron, uh, Cicero Lopez, was the alderman. I like uh, one of my favorite little themes about alderman and prerogative was the alderman elect. Uh, when, at that last uh, city council meeting, he had not been seated. He was the alderman elect when the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. Mayor Rahm, the city council approved uh, f- uh, TIF funding for the 78. And uh, he was literally, he wasn't chained to a, uh, a smokestack, Laureen, but he was protesting in the streets mm-hmm. of Chicago doing a sit-in. And they still, they still voted uh, for the TIF that he was opposed to. So alderman and prerogative okay. has never existed in the city of Chicago, in my humble opinion. Uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it's a game that, in this particular case, that the, the mayor is playing uh, in order to sort of like shame the alderman and use the alderman as scapegoats uh, like to thus give her and her administration more power. Do you see it the same way? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a very simplistic way of explaining why Chicago is such a scary place to try to have a democratic voice um it's it's a tiny fraction of you know the real challenges of people trying to have a voice in their politics and in their future i agree with that completely so lefties out there if you're listening to me and i know you are 
Stop talking about Ottoman and prerogative. It, it was a contrived <laughs> issue to begin with, and I wish it existed. Uh, even in the, it, it, back in the uh, this Saturday uh, in the Twenty Second Ward, where then maybe they wouldn't have demolished uh, the smokestack. Maybe the the, the bureaucrats at City Hall uh, would have listened to the aldermen and just held back a little bit uh, to make sure. Well, you know what? Just to hold back until the pandemic uh, has passed, and then they can continue their project. I think that would have been the sensible mm-hmm. thing to do. Don't you agree, Lorraine? Oh, yeah. They wouldn't have been, you know, who knows what's going to happen to them now. El Bejo is calling for them to pack up their bags and leave the community, and I personally support that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, to national news. And, um, you know, we, I think I talked to you briefly on the phone about this yesterday. Uh, Bernie uh, dropped his campaign and has uh, endorsed Biden. You've been on the show many times talking about why you supported Bernie Sanders. Uh, and uh, are you ready to do the same, Lorene? Or what do you need to hear from Biden uh, before you jump aboard that bandwagon? I think um, first I need to hear from Biden that he works for us. Um, you know, it's not a surprise that Bernie endorsed uh, Joe Biden. He's been telling us from the beginning that he's going to do that. Um, you know, it's kind of one of the limits of electoralism is, you know, the change that you get through the ballot box is different than change you would get in the streets. So, you know, Bernie, I think, did his best. I will always um, cherish what he's given my generation, the generation younger than me, um, to believe that we deserve something better. And, um, you know, I think it's up to Biden to show that he can earn our vote. The entitlement coming from uh, some voters thinking that we should, leftists should just hand over our votes to Biden is absolutely undemocratic. He won because 60 billionaires support him who hold outsized uh, control over our politics. Obama's rumored to be have, you know, moving things around behind the scenes um, since uh, before South Carolina. And, you know, Obama vacations on mega yachts and, you know, how are we supposed to trust that Biden works for us unless he shows that he's very eager to earn our votes and not just take them for granted? So give me some kind of specifics that you're looking for. I know a lot of our listeners, Lorena, are in the same position you are. Yeah. There's some, there's some, they, they want to hear something substantive from Joe Biden. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, like when, when Bernie talks about, like, we took on the healthcare industry, we took on the fossil fuel industry, all these different industries that, um, that take away our freedom to have a, a life that isn't commodified. Um, where is Biden going to ch- step up to? Is he going to challenge the fossil fuel industry and support a Green New Deal and help us create a, a climate change plan that reflects what scientists are asking for? Because scientists are saying we've got seven years or 10 years um, to turn this thing around before it's uh, irretrievable. And so, and his plan is talking about signing up for the Paris Agreement and getting us to carbon zero by 2050. Um, that's, that's a climate change denier position at this point. Um, so is he going to move on that? Is he going to talk about, um, free college for all? Is he going to talk about Medicare for all, um, Medicare for all, you know, we, we all understand like he's, you know, indebted to this ACA, um, Obamacare plan, but Obamacare is a giveaway to the insurance industry. So we really need a plan. Like he wants to lower the Medicare age to 60 when Hillary Clinton was offering lowering it to 50 or 55. He needs to lower it to zero. And, you know, unless we stand for strong demands like that, then how are we supposed to believe that he really wants to beat Trump? Because that's been kind of the, the fear is that 
Biden only came in to make sure Bernie didn't win. And his backers, who are billionaires, actually don't care if Biden wins. So now that Biden has gotten Bernie out of the race, is Biden going to work hard to beat Trump? Or was he, has he already completed his mission? And the billionaires are perfectly happy with the re-election of Trump. And Biden needs to show us that he actually wants to beat Trump. And he wants to beat him enough to challenge those billionaires and actually support policies that will make young people excited to vote for him. Which at this point, he has absolutely failed to do. Do you think at this moment that Biden is forcefully enough uh, opposing Trump to show that he does, in fact, want to defeat Donald Trump? Uh, do you think he's showing enough to convince you that uh, he's in this race, not just to take care of what you said, you know, the agenda of billionaires, but to actually defeat Donald Trump? You know, I pay a lot more attention to action than I do pretty words. And all I'm hearing is pretty words. I see no substance to show that he um, is actually going to work as hard to win our votes as Bernie was. One one of the strangest things that I, I seized on, it, it, it's small uh, in comparison to all the other issues you were talking about, college and uh, the environment, uh, and uh, of course, healthcare, which is such a paramount issue in our country today. So bizarre, Joe mm-hmm. Biden's attitude about uh, marijuana, legalizing marijuana. Right. That just, it, it, it it's small, Lorene, but it's so symbolic. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand it. it how the head of a democratic party, it's so clear that the democratic party has moved beyond on this issue and he's still straggling behind. Uh, Right. And it's so hard to understand what people's motivations are. Cause you can, you can think like as people do sweetly thinking like, Oh, he's just, you know, stuck in his ways. But why was, he's one of the people who, you know, supported this, these crime bills that criminalize being black and being brown in America. And, you know, why is he still supporting marijuana laws um, when he knows that the effect is exactly what he says he opposes, which is institutionalized racism? This is not about, oh, I'm scared of how marijuana affects your brain. This is about, you know, how our society treats people and criminalizes people who are in poverty. Yeah, that's the absolute paramount issue. And and that's just Mm -hmm. one case where I'd love to... I would love for once the centrist wing of the Democratic Party uh, to say, you know what? We did make mistakes back then. We have Mm -hmm. changed. We have evolved. You follow what I'm saying? As so much of the rhetoric during the primary, which we're supposed to forget, but so much of the rhetoric was, uh, lefties, we can't win with what your agenda is because we have to appeal to people who vehemently disagree with it. So we still we haven't learned anything. You know what I'm saying? We still are not for Medicare for all. We're still not for legalization of marijuana. It's, it's very strange how the, the, the Democrats are still clinging uh, to these old, outdated notions. Yeah, and that's actually something that is an intersection with local politics and national politics that I've found myself um, being very interested in. So, you know, nationally, there's still this idea that, oh, we should be bipartisan and look, you know, this. Democrat worked with this Republican, but we're seeing a lot of cynicism coming from my generation because we see that when a Republican and a Democrat work together, it's so that they can, uh, you know, put sanctions on Iran to further starve the people and like hurt hurt people or something like that. We're not seeing um, bipartisanship where it's you know, you know, different types of legislation. Like for example, with Byron 
um, and Alderman Hopkins. They're not very ideologically similar, but they both agree that aldermanic prerogative isn't where the corruption lies in this uh, city, and they're challenging the mayor on that narrative and how it relates to this Hillco disaster. And it's sort of like strange bedfellows, but you can nobody can explain it but for the fact that they are principled. Nobody, you know, they don't have the same campaign donor telling them to talk about that. But in in national politics, you'll see, you know, oh, Joe Biden worked bipartisanly with this other guy to make it more expensive to get drugs because they both have the same pharma donor or something like that. And that's something that, you know, it'd be great to see because Biden knows how that works. Let's, let's be honest with the American people and call that out, you know, but it's, is he on our side? Would he be on the side of the people to actually do that? Or does he work for the pharma donors? Mm-hmm. That's really what I think centrist voters are actually scared of. I think like the resistance uh, voters who were supporting Biden, who were supporting a more moderate candidate have since Bernie stepped out of the race, I think they've become afraid. I think they've become afraid that Biden actually won't move towards the voters that he needs that came from the Biden campaign or from the Bernie campaign. Will he cast off those big pharma donors and say, you know what, we're going to put a cap on pharmaceutical drugs. No American's going to pay more than 50 or 200 bucks a month or a year um, for drugs. Um, is he bold enough to do that and piss off his pharma donors. I I don't know if he's on our side that much. And his supporters, it's on them to challenge Biden, not to yell at us to vote for blue no matter who. It's on them to challenge Biden's campaign to work for the people. Uh, (laughs) Vote for blue no matter who. Forget everything you believe in. Shut up. Jump aboard. Uh, Yeah, that is the standard refrain. I just want to go back to uh, something you mentioned. You were talking about Brian Hopkins and your husband, uh, Cisho Lopez, Mm -hmm. uh, Alderman Cisho Lopez. Uh, This is an interesting distinction going back to local politics for a moment. But Brian Hopkins uh, represents an upscale Northside ward. And uh, the, the, the smokestack that they destroyed is in a relatively uh, working class, largely Hispanic Southwest side uh, ward. And two different attitudes in the city of Chicago about economic development in each. So when Brian Hopkins talks from the North side upscale ward about how the city uh, worked in conjunction with him on on these uh, plants, et cetera, and so forth, I think it was largely because he comes from a well-to-do North Side ward that there was so right. much working with him on that. Um, the city's attitude, and this goes back long before Lori Lightfoot, his relative mm-hmm. indifference on bordering on passive-aggressive hostility uh, toward people in poor wards. Back in the 1990s, uh, this is long before uh, you were on the scene, Laureen, but uh, the, mm-hmm. the city of Chicago uh, allowed a... Um, uh, uh, an, an operative for the federal government to put huge mounds of waste on the middle of the west side on a vacant lot on the west side. It was part of a, under, a sting operation where they, he was dumping uh, uh, waste there and debris there in order uh, to, to capture the local politicians and taking bribes. The federal government knew what was going on. The city of Chicago knew what was going on, and nobody did anything. So that attitude wow. that the city works well with uh, uh, residents through the aldermen, mm-hmm. that's class-based in the city of oh, Chicago. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I just had well, a- I mean, we see here, like in the 25th Ward, this ward had no, like Byron will always say, this ward had no aldermen for 23 years. And in a lot of the cases, you know, I know this may be an inflammatory thing to say, but in many of the cases where we're, you know, talking to people saying, you know, what did the previous alderman do when he'd be in this room? He was never holding whatever powerful figure accountable for what they would do for this community. And it was, everything was a giveaway. And so, you know, there's instances, you know, there was like a, in 2016, one of the first uh, protests that Byron had organized um, when he was director of the Silson Alliance was around this um, luxury housing development in Silson. And they had, I think, developed a hundred units of luxury housing and very little became affordable housing below the minimum for the city of Chicago. So the, so there was an in-kind fee of like a plot of land that was supposed to go to the high school. And then when Byron became alderman in 2019, you know, his superintendent was like, oh, there's this lot, it's full of debris, it's trash. And they found out that it still belonged to the developer who was, had promised on, in newspapers in 2016 that it was going to be turned over to the school. And it hadn't been. So it's, it's little things like that, that like, you know, every day we're like learning about things like that, where, you know, the previous alderman was not working for the people here. He was working for not the people here. And so you, so, you know, when the community needs to be empowered and that's why we talk about, you know, fighting for these things, like getting our schools fully funded, getting a living wage, because if the people in this community who the working class community, if they could be paid $15 an hour, no matter what their job is and, and have the right to a union, then they wouldn't have to work two or three jobs. They could just have one job, be home with their kids at night, be involved with their school's PTA, you know, pay attention to what their alderman is doing instead of being so busy trying to survive that they can't pay attention and be civically engaged in their Lorraine, before I let you go, I want to uh, come back to uh, federal issues, come back to uh, how uh, Donald Trump is responding to the pandemic. I think I mentioned this to you yesterday. When I watch the way Trump uh, treats uh, some of the, f- the the federal employees, uh, Dr. Fauci pops to my mind, uh, number one. Mm-hmm. I, I reminded me of how he and his uh, uh, aides treat EPA workers. Uh, you're like political creatures, uh, you're supposed to just bow to whatever uh, dictates he uh, utters from one day to the next. Uh, you, it must bring, it must remind you the same when you watch these press conferences and these briefings. Yeah, there's a similar lack of respect for you know federal servants who are doing their jobs. Um, just no sense of um, a partnership or that we're in this together, it's always an adversarial relationship and not supportive of each other. We need to be having our, each other's backs and that's the only way that we survive this pandemic is by supporting each other and um, listening to what everybody's good at and supporting each other and finding ways that we can help each other as if they're helping you. And we're not seeing that from the highest office in this country. And we ha- we've never seen it at the federal level with how he works deals with federal civil servants. And now we're seeing it on this um, most important stage we've ever seen. In yeah. uh, by the way, what was the response you had to me yesterday when I got you on the phone? It was a funny bit. And I want to, I can't remember it at the moment. I said, there are three kinds of uh, Bernie Kratz. Right. One who, who uh-huh. like me, who hold his nose and vote blue, no matter where, what state he's in. The other one will hold his nose and vote blue uh, it only, but only if he lives in a swing state. 
and then the third one is, of course, the one who will just not vote blue no matter what and uh, barely cons- so left that they barely voted for Bernie in the first place. You said there was a fourth kind. What was that kind that you said? What was that line you used? I think the fourth kind needs a new category where, you know, we're just going to fight to sort of, in the end, it comes out as like pushing Joe Biden left, which sounds very innocuous and totally democratic. But um, in this more anarchist way, it's saying, you know, I'm never going to vote for Biden. Um, He stands for nothing. He only works for the billionaires. And it's kind of up to him to make sure that that's not true. Show us that it's ridiculous that he would work for a billionaire. Um, you know, just like, you know, if, if, you know, your spouse was accusing you of, you know, oh, you know, you don't love me, you don't think I'm beautiful, then you must step up and love the hell out of your spouse so that they cannot deny that they are beloved and wanted by you. So I would like Biden to woo me. <laughs> All right. There you go. We'll leave with that. Uh, you hear that, Joe yeah. Biden? Uh, prove it. Prove yourself worthy of mm-hmm. Lorene's vote. Lorene, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I appreciate it as always. All right? Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, very good. That's great. Lorene Targos uh, from the 25th Ward, and she wears many hats. She's a federal employee, EPA scientist. Uh, she's a political activist, big-time Bernie Krat. And um, her husband's the in the 25th Ward, so she knows a little bit of how politics play in the city of Chicago. Yeah, automated prerogative. It was made up from the get-go. Uh, Lori Lightfoot very successfully used that as an issue uh, to convince people to vote. Like, it was a reform issue. <laughs> totally fictitious. Doesn't exist. Has never existed. And as we see, it's not really a good idea to lock the alderman out. Uh as we saw here on the, on the southwest side of Chicago when they uh, destroyed a uh, smokestack in the middle of a pandemic. All right, that was Lorene Targos. Oh, my God, Ben. Breaking news here. I know you were wondering about this. Uh, Chicago magicians. What are they going to do in these times? Well, they've adjusted to virtual. They're going virtual here, adjusting to virtual magic amid coronavirus pandemic. I was, I'm reassured to see that. Virtual magic. How does that work? Well, let's find out. Oh, it's this is written by our good friend Evan Moore. Oh, it's from the Sun-Times? Shout out to the Chicago Sun-Times and mm-hmm. Evan Moore. The gig economy, or as Trump calls it, the gig economy. <laughs> the gig economy. When he said that, millions in the gig economy. Good Lord. Uh, the gig economy has all but crushed any major means by which its workers can make a living amid the coronavirus pandemic. For some entertainers, even the magic is gone, at least in the traditional sense. This is good, Evan. Uh, that's why some Chicago magicians are keeping the art form alive in new ways. Uh, yeah, so magic's going to be virtually online. I'm glad to hear that. Magic virtually online. That's, uh, that's reassuring to know. Uh, magic is not disappearing. Uh, from the city of Chicago. All right, very good. I want to thank Lorraine Targos. Uh, and we got Monroe Anderson. We're going to bring him on. Uh, we're going to take, Dennis is going to upload this show and then we're going to interview Monroe and that'll be ready to go What about eight o'clock tonight, nine o'clock tonight, Dave? Eight, eight o'clock tonight. I'm going to drop Monroe Anderson. So for those looking for that midweek with, with Monroe, don't worry. It's going to be downloadable. Subscribe, go find it. And uh, also too, uh, shout out to our good friend, Pat Whalen. He helps us out on social media. He is the man. He posts the links to our show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Tell your friends they can find our show 
easily if uh, you know you want to spread the word. All right, yeah, Pat Whalen is the man. We got to get him on the show to, to uh, talk. Yeah, we haven't done a virtual Pat Whalen. I know we need a virtual Pat virtual Whalen. Virtual Pat Whalen. Uh, is he a magician? What he does with social media is magic. <laughs> so I guess he's a magician. Anyway, I want to thank uh, Dr. D, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would not be possible. And as you know, everybody back home on Alton, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. All right. I see a sign language guy on my computer screen. Oh, and right next to him is Governor J.B. Pritzker. He's giving his daily COVID-19 press briefing. Go check it out. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. Bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, give the live stream a try sometime. Tuesdays through Fridays. One until, yeah, sometimes three, sometimes 2.45. Right now, 2.38. We're in the attic, all right? Different times. Go check out the live stream and join us. Uh, we'd love to have you. And join the live stream chat. Weigh in. And if you watch your language, we'll read your comment. We'll see you tomorrow. to all the Aries. But if you stay at home now, maybe you can celebrate with the Geminis later.